Amen. Happy Easter. I, I love it. You know, Easter is sort of this pinnacle day where everything that we believe is kind of centralized and, and it's just put on the pedestal. That th- This is the day that Jesus, who died on the cross for our guilt, for our wrong, for our sin, rose from the grave. And all of his promises are now trustable and reliable because of his action. Now, I, I just love it. And I, I want to start out, and we don't usually start out just praying right away, but I, I just want to start out and pray and ask God to work through us and work in us this morning. Lord, you are incredible. And, and Father, each one of us is just at a different place in life, and we've had different experiences, and, and yet every one of us has done something wrong. Every one of us has had a sense of guilt or shame at some point in our life. And your cross and what you did there to sacrifice your life for our sin is an offer to every one of us to find forgiveness in life. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to us today. Lord, even if we were the most logical person, the most analytical person, Father, I pray today that your spirit would work beyond that, that we would know truth because you proclaim truth to our hearts. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the other day I, I came home from work and uh, my kids were downstairs and I went down to play with them. And uh, the, the older one is, he, he's kind of like the lawyer. He's, re- he's, he's smarter than I am. I have no problem admitting that my 10-year-old is already smarter than I am. Um, and and he, uh, he just, he looks at me with a smirk of like he's about to, to get me. He's about to like make me, you know, realize something that he knew. And he says to me, he goes, Dad, guess what? You, I did the math, you are over 14,000 days old. And I was like, no, that's, that's funny. That's not even like, and, th- and then I did the math, right? And I did the math and I was like, you carry the one and yeah. And I looked at him and I said, son, in our house, we don't do math like that. We don't like to think about that. Dad doesn't like to think about the fact that he's been alive for over 14,000 days. That's incredible. I had chicken wings on 1,200 of them. But think about it. 14, it's actually like 14,500, but, but who's counting, right? Uh, 14,500 days. And if you think about it, I, I have really tried to have as much influence on as many people as possible for a good portion of those. Still, at the end of my life, I'm going to die and the world's going to go on as if really I wasn't a big part of it. Within 20, 30 years, probably nobody's even really going to think about me at all. I've had 14,000 days to try to have influence on that. Jesus, in one day, one day, changes the whole landscape of history. Not just of a little place. This is like pre-social media, pre-Google. And one day changes everything moving forward. And he has that influence, not, not because he was a great teacher. I mean, he was. But it's not just because he, had a, he was a great teacher. It's not just because he did some things that people considered miraculous. It's because Jesus lived after he died. It's because all of his teaching was backed by the fact that he said he was going to die and then he was going to live and he actually did it. And so you have people who are saying, this is, this, I don't know what to do with this other than to say, I give my life to this cause. 
I give my life to it. We're going to look at uh, one of these encounters of Jesus in a bodily resurrection where he's, he's standing there physically, bodily, presently talking to people. We're going to look at this in, in Luke chapter 24. I love the way that Dan Kimball, he talks about the Bible. He says the Bible is really, it's a library of books all telling one central story that Jesus was the Messiah who came to solve the great problem of evil in the world. And he, he rose from the grave to give us the hope of life. And he talks about the Bible, Dan Kimball talks about the Bible as if it's, as if it's as an axe in a play. If you're looking at a play and you're reading the, the kind of the acts of the different play and you've got the creation act one and then you've got the, that evil corruption of, of the world where sin invades the world and, and everything that is wrong with, with the world and all the pain and all the, the, the drama and, and just all the turmoil we feel, it all comes from that, that episode. And then, then you've got these different acts of the anticipation of the Messiah and then you have the, the arrival of the Messiah, Messiah and then you have the death and the resurrection, and then eventually the reign of the Messiah. And he, his point is, is, that, is this, is every time you open the Bible, he says, every time you open the Bible, you're opening to a point in a storyline. You're opening to a moment in the play. You could think of it like this. If you were watching like a two hour long YouTube video and you just wanted to watch one middle part, you could just drag your little marker to, to the part you wanted to watch. But you, you know that comes in a timeline. There are things that happen before and there are things that happen after. And what we're gonna do this morning is just really focus in on one minute portion on that timeline. A portion where Jesus is resurrected and this is actually later in the resurrection day. He's appeared to some people in the morning, but look, not many people know what's happened at this point. In fact, we're going we're to meet a couple of guys who are walking alone, along, and they have no idea that people over here are just, are, are just rejoicing and crazy because they're seeing Jesus. And they're, they're walking along, they're dejected, they're, they're down, they're in despair and grief, they're brokenhearted because in their mind, Jesus came and this sort of rescue mission failed because Jesus died. And maybe they've heard some stuff about what happened, but, but in their minds, this is this, this, just this big thing that doesn't make sense to them. They spent time with him. They lived with him. They heard his teaching, and, and now he's gone. And so Luke 24, we read, I, I just love, I love this story. Luke 24 and verse 13. Uh, we're going to read it. It's, it's a longer section of the text, so just, just kind of follow along with me. Um, now that same day, the, the, the resurrection day, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing as together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. 
but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Let's pray. And God, I love this truth. I love how you just gradually revealed yourself to these men who are destitute without hope and, and they're just walking away and they've heard some things and they're wondering, but, but at the end their faces are still downcast and, and then your son shows up. And Lord, just, just as it has happened in so many of our lives where it was an unexpected thing that you found us, we weren't even really looking for you, but you were looking for us. Lord, I pray that that happens today. That though some may have walked in here without hope, that they wouldn't leave without hope. But their hearts would just overflow with your love as you reveal yourself to them. In your name we pray, amen. So I mentioned I, 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 love, this, uh, I love this text. Um, I love it primarily not just because of the story and how it works and how it unfolds. And I, I just love there's a couple of phrases in there that really jump out to me and and they connect with me. They connect with my life. I think they connect with our lives. Um, but that phrase, the first one, is that they had hoped. They had hoped. That was a past tense thing. Like that was something they used to do. They used to get excited. They used to have this expectation. They used to, they used to look forward to what was going to happen. You know, one of our church values is we expect God to do great things. That's what hope is. That's really just a different way of saying hope. They used to expect that God was going to do something, and then they lost it. See, hope is something that you can lose. It's really, actually, it's really quite easy to lose it. Like, speaking from my own experience, I can have the most incredible interaction with God, and then I go home, and one thing happens one way, the way that's not what I want, and it's really easy to lose hope, isn't it? Or that one person who decides that they don't like you despite your efforts to be liked by them. It's really easy to lose hope, isn't it? That one person you trusted, now all of a sudden they betray you. It's really incredibly easy to lose hope and to get discouraged. When John Piper talks about hope, he says, he, he says hope is an emotional reservoir. I love that. love that picture. Hope is an emotional reservoir because it can be filled up or it can be drained. And we go through this kind of ebb and flow in life with hope where it fills up and, and it drains. And, and, and so these guys are at this point where they've, they've lost hope. It's been discouraged. They've been discouraged. And their hearts are overcome with trouble and with despair. And the reservoir has drained. It's, it's emptied out. It's two discouraged men trying to make sense of this all. They were around Jesus. They heard his incredible teaching. They heard his call to, to build their life on him as if, as if they were building a house on, on a rock, on solid ground. He says, build your life on me. They saw him do miraculous things. They, they, would have, 
They would have seen him feed 5,000 people out of just a couple of pieces of bread and fish. They would have seen his character and his heart as he, as he, the most popular person in all of Israel, knelt down and played with little kids and loved them. They would have seen it all, and, and, and then he's gone, and he's dead. And just in a moment, the reservoir is just drained entirely. There's two things I find incredibly intriguing about their discouragement. Is that, number one, the empty tomb didn't prove anything to them. They, they heard about that. The empty tomb, that, that wasn't impressive to them. There was just a mystery. It just didn't make something. Didn't, didn't add up. They weren't saying, oh, the empty tomb. Okay, good. Jesus must be alive. No, the empty tomb, their faces were still downcast. They heard the reports of the women. Their faces were still downcast. This, this is the, the speculation idea is, isn't just enough for them to refill their hope, right? The, the, the hope has been drained. In fact, when they speak about these things in the original language, when he talks about they heard some of what had happened, the phrase they use in their original language would be like a hearsay of a hearsay. This is like a rumor of a rumor. And they're not willing to put their hope in. It sounds good. But how much hope are they really willing to put into a rumor of a rumor? This was like last night. I was scrolling through Facebook Marketplace, and, and I came. I put local listings in, so I, you know, I don't want to have something shipped to me. I just want to see what was locally available. And there's a bunch of like wood and tools. And then, then I saw egg rolls for one dollar. I was like, hmm, what are the chances? Facebook Marketplace has good egg rolls for one dollar. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at the clock, I'm like, it's, it's 10 o'clock. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a lot of hope in this. Like, I don't think this is going to, I mean, this is not, it's speculation, right? It, they, the picture looks good, but they're just Facebook egg rolls at this point. You know what hope is? Yesterday, we had our Easter egg hunt. We had our Easter egg hunt. And the, the three to four-year-olds, there was like a hundred of them out here, like surrounded. We had to tape it off to keep them from going in. And you, you should have seen the kids as, as we began, like, a, you know, the countdown. And, and these little kids, like, screaming on the ground that they can't go in and get the eggs right there because they can see them all. There's just eggs. There's more eggs than there was grass. I mean, honestly. More eggs than grass. And just an incredible shout-out to all our teens who helped out, everybody who helped out. But that's hope. Is they, they're expecting something. And, and, and I point this out because... Jesus' followers go on to die for his cause. And they go on to die for his cause, not because of some rumors about a misplaced body. They go on to die for his cause because they had literal conversations with a guy who used to be dead, and now he's standing there alive talking with them. That's why they die. Not because they heard some rumors of rumors, but because they're walking along a road and all of a sudden the Son of God stands there, not dead, but alive. They have dinner with him. Luke's a historian. He just records this stuff as fact. Like, this is what happened. You make your decision about it. They have encounters where they can touch him. They don't die because they heard a rumor of a rumor. They die because they spoke with him. They sat down and shared a meal with them. They're destitute, and now all of a sudden their hope is alive. Luke concludes this story by saying, when they realize who Jesus was, they say, did not our hearts burn within us? Why? Because the overflow of the reservoir of hope that took place in their heart. 
Because now they went from having nothing to live for to having everything to live for. They went from fear and sorrow and sadness to freedom and joy and hope. How incredible a hope that couldn't possibly die because their God couldn't die. What an incredible thing. Here's the, hope. Here's the trick. You can't hope like they did at first. You can't hope like they did at first. Well, how do, how do they hope at first? At first, they hoped like this. They said, we hoped he would be the one who would redeem Israel. And what they meant by that was very political. They hoped that he would come in and he would be their king and he would, he would let them rule over other nations, that he would make their lives easier. They hoped that Jesus would bring change. What they didn't account for was that Jesus wasn't necessarily bringing the change they want. Jesus was the change. Jesus wasn't just the change for Israel. He was the change for all of history. And their hope was too small. And so Jesus invites this, this new thought to them as he's talking. They didn't even realize who he is at this point. He says, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. At first it sounds like he's just being rude. What's he saying? He's not saying you don't have intellectual ability. He's not saying you're not smart. He's saying there's part of this where you've just been looking for the wrong thing. You've been slow to believe what was possible. And Jesus, multiple times with his followers, had alluded to his death in the most plain ways. In John 3, he says, he says that I'll be lifted, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Lifted up was the phrase that they used to talk about the cross. That was their language. That was their euphemism to say the cross. If you wanted to say the cross, you didn't say the cross. You said lifted up because you knew this. Jesus said the Son of Man would be lifted up so that all would look to him and believe and be saved. Jesus says, slow to heart, that he wasn't just a good teacher. He was the son of God. And his response to them was essentially, guys, this was the plan. This, this was how it had to happen. I'm not the one who's unaware. It's interesting that these two guys, they go, are you the only guy in all of Israel who don't have this figured out? And in the end, Jesus isn't the one who's ignorant. They are. Jesus is saying, actually, I had it figured out perfectly. Didn't the Messiah have to, didn't the Christ have to suffer? That's a fascinating statement. Didn't the Christ, didn't the Messiah have to suffer? See, they knew part of the story, and they really kind of got it wrong. They thought the Messiah had to show up, and he would enter into glory and Jesus says, nah, you, you skipped a chapter. You skipped a chapter. The Messiah did have to show up, and the Messiah will enter into glory, but there's this chapter in the middle that talks about how he gets there. The chapter where through his suffering, through his death, he can take people with him into glory. Because if the Messiah just shows up and then goes into glory, nobody gets to go with him because of that problem of evil that we talked about in Act 2, where evil corrupts the world, and if we're honest, evil is within our own hearts. And so G Jesus says, look, the, the path to glory would be a path that takes a journey through suffering so that the path to glory can be a path I don't take alone. Where Romans talks about that we get to share in his glory. Jesus had to suffer so that he could take us with him. In fact, Genesis, all the way back, all the way back in Act 1, right at the end of Act 1, 
Jesus, the, the scriptures prophesy about this, and they compare it to, to a man defeating a snake in a battle, defeating a serpent. He says, it says that a, a, the man would step on and crush the serpent's head, but in the process, the serpent would strike his heel. She said, that, that's what happened here. I had to suffer to save. In order to save, I had to suffer. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, we are so bad that Jesus had to die for us. It was necessary. We're so bad that Jesus had to die for us, but we are so loved that Jesus was willing to die for us. This is the message of, of, of the scriptures. This is what that whole act is telling us. This is what the whole thing is proclaiming. We're so bad that Jesus had to die, but we're so loved that Jesus was willing to die. Jesus says, I had to lay down my life. In order to crush the head of the serpent, my heel had to be struck. His death stood as a substitute, as a payment for our wrong. And then his resurrection, his life after his death, you know what that is? That's, that's an offer for every one of us to find life in him. That's a promise to everybody who believes. Jesus in John 11, where he's speaking to a group of people about death, he says to, to a woman in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever, believe, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to read it again. What would this mean if Jesus never rose from the grave? If Jesus died and he stayed dead, what would this promise mean? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Man, that would be empty, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be empty? You, you know what Jesus did here? He called a shot. Now, I'm not a golfer, but I, I occasionally will see some highlights of golf and I was watching some the other day, and there's just like these most amazing shots where, where guys like hit it, and it looks like it's going way out of bounds, and all of a sudden it hits a bridge and bounces back in, and it stops like a foot from the hole. Like that would be me as a golfer. I would need that sort of luck. You know, I watched one where it hit, the, it hit a bridge, it hit a press box, and it ends up, and it's like, wow. There's one this past year in November where this guy, um, he, he was maybe like 150 yards away from the hole and he swung, hit the ball, and it just kind of hit the ground and it hit the water. Only instead of going in the water, you, you know when you skip a rock out, it just like skips across. It skipped across the water like a rock, hits the bank on the other side, goes up and goes right in. Right in. I mean, this is like a one in a million shot. Can you imagine if that guy if that guy walked up to the tee and he said, here's what I'm going to do. It's going to look like I messed up, but just hang with me. Because that ball is going to hit that blade of grass. It's going to hit that rock. It's going to skip 25 times against across the wire. It's going to hit. It's going to ramp up. It's going to come around the green, and it's going to roll in, and, and you guys are going to go crazy because it's going to go in. Can you imagine if he called it? I mean, that, it, it was amazing before, but then he called it. Right? That would just, wow. Jesus, before his resurrection, says, I am the resurrection. Whoever, whoever believes in me will never die. Jesus called his shot. I mean, this isn't a, a golf ball going in a hole. This is life and death. Whoever believes in me will never die. Do you 
believe this. That, that's your offer. Uh, Jeff did an incredible job preaching on Good Friday, and, and he talked about how it's paid in full. Jesus paid. It, it's entirely up to you to receive it. Jesus died, and he rose from the grave. He goes on to explain to these guys, he, he explains how all the scriptures were concerning himself. He just walks through the scriptures with them as they're on this, this seven-mile walk, and he's just walking through it, and he says, hey, you know the story uh, about the serpent and the man? How he, that, that was actually about me. You know, you know the story about you know, the, the Passover lamb and how there had to be a sacrifice? That was about me. There's a story about you know, King David and, and how King David would, would call out to uh, his own lineage and say, I worship you. And, and you know how that didn't make sense to you? That's because I would come through the line of David and, and I was preexistent and David's going to worship me as the Messiah. He just walks through it explaining how all of it, all of it was pointing to this one central grand story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who loved us enough to die for us. You know, what this, you know what this story does when you look at it this way? It's, it's attempting, if you allow it to, it's attempting to pull you into it. When you read the scriptures, it's attempting to pull you in. It's unlike any other book because what it's trying to do is not just inform you if something's happened, it's trying to pull you in so that you find your place in it. When I was a, a kid, we watched a movie called Jumanji. Did you ever see that movie? I love the movie. It's just a fun movie. It's a different idea. The concept of the movie is that these kids find this, this old board game and they start to play it and as they play it the, the game kind of comes alive around them and so the things that happen in the game begin to happen in, in real life uh, around them essentially that's, that's what happens when you go to the scripture the scriptures become true around you only it's different because in, in, in the movie in the board game where, where the, the game becomes true around them every character becomes the main character and what happens in the scripture is as the scripture becomes true around you, unlike everything else that exists in our world, you don't find yourself as the main character. You don't find yourself at the center of this story. You find yourself as an incredibly loved person who was rescued by the main character. And at the center of the story stands this sacrificed, dead, but resurrected Messiah. And the invitation is for you to find yourself within his story. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's offering to say, I am your way. I am your truth. I am your life. And so if the resurrection is true, then ultimately any story has to account for it. And ultimately any story needs to find its place in his story. And these men are standing before a resurrected human being. What do you do with that? But how, how do you respond to that? They saw him brutally murdered. They saw his lifeless body. They saw his heavily guarded tomb. And now they're standing there speaking with him. How, I mean, how, how do you walk away from that not dramatically changed? We kind of wrap it up here this morning. And just three questions that should become your, your really your most pressing questions of of your existence. Three questions that should become the most pressing questions of your existence. The, the first one is, is why was he here? Why was he here? Like, wh why was Jesus here? The second one is, wh what does his death mean? 
What does that mean? So why was he here? What, what does his death mean? And then the third one is, what does his resurrection offer? What these followers and those who found, as they began to follow and more and more people began to believe, what they found was that his resurrection offered not just life for Jesus, but life for us. Not just life after death, but full life while we're alive here. They found that his death and his presence offered, you know what it offered? It's so simple, but I don't want you to miss how, how profound it is because it's simple. You've heard this a thousand times. His presence and his death are about love. About love. And the most incredible act of love that this world has ever known. He was, he was willing to die. We were bad enough that he had to die, but we, he loved us enough that he was willing to die. And when you find the answer to those questions, you know what you find? is the reservoir. It doesn't just fill up but the reservoir overflows. I mean, I, I, just one challenge for us today. One challenge. I, I pray that you find hope in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have had faith in Him, and I just want to hone in on that, is that your mood should be stuck on upcast, not downcast. Like, it, it, we go through this ebb and flow of the reservoir, you know, drains and, and it fills. It should be, our mood should be stuck on upcast, not downcast. Their faces were stuck on downcast and they meet Jesus and they, they walk away entirely different. We're not our hearts burning within us. See, we live in light of the resurrection, not the shadow of a funeral. We live in the hope of an empty tomb, not the sadness of a burial. And so every bit of the bad news that we have in our life is conquered by the good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. This is what we celebrate. And let our, let our faces be stuck on upcast, not downcast. You know what I, I love about this text that I've just kind of been holding to the end here? Is Luke 24, it's written in what, what's called this chiastic structure, which is uh, it's this nerdy literary thing that, that it's kind of like the main point is not the first thing he says. The main point is not the last thing he says. The main point is the very, very middle of what he says. We, we lose it because we, we don't ever look at it like that. So you, what is the main point? The main point is the very center of it. You know what the center of it is? Three words. He is alive. He is alive. And three, worlds that don't, three words that don't just change that day, but change every day. Let's celebrate. God, we love you so much. And Lord, some of us walked into you today with a reservoir that was empty and drained. And yet you fill it up quite quickly. Lord, perhaps as those men had hearts that burned that day, that our hearts would burn bright with hope now. Lord, I pray that each one of us would find our place in a story in life, not in a story where we're the main character and everything's about us and we're just searching for who we are, but Lord, that we find that really our best place, our truest place in life is within your story. Within a story where we could not be more loved and more valued. Within a story that explains our brokenness, yet at the same time explains our worth. Lord, I praise you 
for your son, Jesus Christ, and his tremendous love. Amen.